to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Good morning, everybody. Can everyone hear me? Awesome. Cool. All right. Now, according to the door, we are in John 11 today. And I'm happy to report that the door is on point. The door's got it right. We're in John 11. Um, Last week was Matthew 11. I don't think that was planned. Matthew 11. Today is John 11. And we're looking at the prayers of Jesus. And this is, yeah, this is the, uh, the prayer at the grave of Lazarus. So before we do that, I just wanted to do a little bit of a, a preface. And I'm probably talking to the converted here when I say this, or at least I hope so. But I've heard it been said that the Bible is the ultimate instruction manual for life. And that it's not just like any other book, not just like any other instruction manual that you'd find on like a, an Amazon's bestseller list. Because this instruction manual for life was actually written by the one who created life. So that's really the authority that you want to consult, first and foremost. But if you're a, a typical Kiwi male uh, dealing with instruction manuals, or me, or some select woman, uh, what you normally do is you grab it and you, you kind of look at the front page and you go, uh, yeah, I think I got the gist of it. <laughs> yeah, some don't. I didn't say all women. <laughs> Only to come back later with 20% of the parts left over and the thing not even standing up straight. And I'm saying, um, let's, let's not treat this instruction manual the same way. I'm talking to myself here. Let's not have the same attitude with this book. And especially, uh, Andy was telling me the other week, when he goes to China, the people that, are, that he's consulting with ask him a lot of questions, if they can. And I thought, why? And it's like, well, because the guy who designed the goat milking machine... Uh, and wrote the specifications as standing right in front of him. Why wouldn't you seek advice straight from him? And today we get to read in John 11 about Jesus. And we get to see that the, the writer of this book, we get to see how he actually plays out life, uh, how he actually does life, which is special even for an already special book. So with all that in mind, I just wanted to put that out there. Let's get stuck in. So John chapter 11, for those who have Bibles and devices, we're starting right at the beginning. And it starts with this woman named Martha. She, she comes to Jesus and she tells him that her brother, Lazarus, is sick. Now Jesus is pretty used to dealing with sick people. Uh, he's constantly having people brought to him. People are constantly coming to him and saying, can you please heal my brother? Can you please heal my daughter? Can you heal my servant? But this time appears to be a little bit different. Because this woman and her brother are people that Jesus knows well. And the sister of the sick man even delivers the message as, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now in John 11, 4, it says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. Bit of a strange thing to say. How can someone be sick for the glory of God? Then the Bible reinforces in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, what would the normal response be when you hear that someone you love is very sick? Normally, 
you'd rush, rush off, hurry off and see them, wouldn't you? I had a similar experience recently. My granddad was rushed to hospital and it's like it's all you can think about. You, you arrange the soonest possible time to go. Uh, we went quite late at night. And, uh, or you, we would have gone early in the morning. I would have gone in the middle of work. It's just you drop what you're doing and you go. But the Bible says that after Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in the same place where he was for another two days. It appears that Jesus was in no real rush to go see Lazarus. But hey, at this point, it's like maybe this is like the Roman centurion and his sick servant. That Moses, uh, not Moses, <laughs> that might be prophetic, that um, Murray spoke about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> maybe Jesus is going to do some long-distance healing. Or maybe, maybe Lazarus has already been healed. Maybe, maybe just by his sister Martha showing up and by her faith, he's been healed. But then later on, Jesus says in verse 11, he's talking to his disciples and he says, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Now the disciples interpret this literally, as most of us would, and think that if he's sleeping and resting, let's leave him alone to recover. But Jesus wasn't talking about that kind of sleep. Verse 14 explains what Jesus actually means. And then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay, so there's no doubt now he's, he's dead, dead. So Jesus obviously didn't heal him from a distance, and now he's gone. But I thought Jesus loved this family. Why would he let this happen? Well, in verse 15, we get a clue. Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus was glad that he wasn't there for the sake of his disciples' belief. Another strange thing to say. But regardless, they set off. So when Jesus arrives at the body of Lazarus, he's already been dead for four days. Now a little history behind Jewish burial customs. Everything was organized quite quickly. Uh, hot climate, no time to waste. So likely... Between 12 and 24 hours after Lazarus passed away, the mourners would have gathered at his home. They would have said their goodbyes. They would have carried him out to the grave spot. People would have been crying, most likely throwing dust in their hair. That's something they did. And once they reached the tomb, they would have placed him in it and rolled a big stone over the entrance. So in summary, reading this, I thought, not only did Jesus not come and see his beloved friend before he died, Jesus actually missed his funeral as well. But now Jesus is nearly there. And one of the sisters of Lazarus, Martha, she runs out. She greets him. She says to him in verse 21, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha replies to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? And she said unto him, Yeah, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now that is an important exchange, yes, Jesus is essentially asking her, where is your faith at? Is it in me? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. Or is it in something else? 
And that may be for someone here. Where is your faith at? What is your faith in? Is it only in things you can see or touch? So after that exchange, Martha runs off and she gets her sister Mary and tells her Jesus is, is close. And now Mary runs off to see him. And she pretty much tells him the same thing. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I thought, man, that's pretty straight up words. It's like they're saying, hey, Jesus, this is kind of your fault. You could have prevented this. And maybe some of us here have had similar conversations with God. I have. I've said to him, how could you do this to me? How could you let me go through this? I thought you loved me. So after that exchange, Jesus looks around. and He sees all these people. They're weeping. They're crying over the death of this man, Lazarus. And it says in verse 33 that he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then one of my wife's favorite verses, and it's fast becoming mine too, Jesus wept. You nailed it. The Bible records Jesus weeping over the lost people of Jerusalem, and now here he is weeping over the friend, uh, weeping over the death of his friend Lazarus. Then said the Jews that were around, they said, Behold how he loved him. Again, another verse confirming how much Jesus loved this man Lazarus. So why didn't he rush off to see him before he died? Why didn't he heal him? And in fact, that's exactly what some of those standing around said. Verse 37, and some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou should seest the glory of God. Now reading into it, that request to move that stone and open that grave was actually a pretty big one from Jesus. Because Jews, they avoided touching graves. Numbers 6, Numbers 19, sorry. Because if you touch graves, you'd be ceremonially unclean. And it was especially important to remain clean during the Passover period, which of course happened to be just around the corner. If you, if you were unclean, then you couldn't celebrate Passover with everyone else at the same time. But Martha is, is clearly keen to see the glory of God, because this happens. Verse 41, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people that stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So we get this prayer of Jesus, thanking God the Father for always hearing him. In fact, Jesus believes so strongly that God the Father always hears him, that normally he doesn't even say it out loud. But he does this time, so that everyone around him knows that Jesus is sent from God. Verse 43, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. So if Jesus had shown up to heal Lazarus on his deathbed, it would have been a miracle. It would have got people talking for sure. But now Jesus has just raised to dead, raised to life someone that's been dead for four days. It sends shockwaves around the community. In fact, the Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, 
believed on him. So if we look back, can we identify some, some key catalysts here, some, some starters in all of this? First off, we've got a sick Lazarus. It's pretty hard to raise someone from the dead who isn't actually dead, right? It's certainly less impressive. So Lazarus was sick. He was dying. He died. Then we have the faith displayed in Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. When Lazarus is sick, they send messengers to go and tell Jesus. They had faith that Jesus could do something about it. Though when Lazarus actually dies, their faith is tested again. Because Jesus basically asks them, do you think I can do something about it? When Martha indicates, yes, I, I believe that you can do something about it, Lord. Even a dead man. Jesus puts her to the test again. Open the grave then. Then we've got a somewhat simple prayer of Jesus that starts with, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Which is almost a strange thing to say as the Bible hasn't really detailed anything that Jesus actually prayed aloud at this point. The verse previous mentioned that Jesus was groaning in himself. Is this a reference to the Holy Spirit praying or groaning on our behalf as mentioned in Romans 8.26? Maybe. Jesus goes on to say, and I know that thou hast he- and I knew that thou hast hearest me always, but because of the people that stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Jesus was on a mission, a dangerous mission. In the previous chapter, chapter 10, the Jews had tried to stone him. Why? Because he claimed to be one with God the Father. The disciples had even warned him in verse 11. I didn't cover it, but they'd even warned him about coming back to Judea where Lazarus was. They thought it was too dangerous. But Jesus was more concerned with doing what the Father wanted than with his own safety and comfort. Jesus explains in John 6.38 that he was sent to do the will of the Father, not his own will. So the timeline boiled down as tragedy, faith, obedience, thankfulness, and the power of God for his glory. Jesus was always seeking God's glory. So for this last part, I felt to focus on how bringing God's glory played out in the story of Lazarus and how it could play out in our stories today. So hands up if you've experienced tragedy. Yeah, pretty much most of us, right? What about faith? Who here remembers a time when they were especially faithful about God's power? Yep when you just knew he'd come through, when you were so thankful to him. Again, a lot of us. And lastly, who here has seen someone raised from the dead? I knew, I knew I'd get you, Neil. At the risk of soliciting a groan, I put it to you that we should all know someone that has been raised again from the dead. Jesus himself said earlier in this passage, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And I don't believe that Jesus was just talking about Lazarus. And I don't even believe that it was just talking about Jesus, because of course we all know Jesus. Because the the experience of Lazarus was a foreshadowing. It was an example of things to come. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2, 4-6, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with grace, or with Christ, by grace he is saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So really as born again believers, we should have all gone through a process like Lazarus. Loved by God, but spiritually dead through sin. But through faith in Jesus, we opened our tombs, 
and said, Lord, we bear all. Jesus, come in. And we can be thankful for new life in him. Romans 6.4 Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. I want to finish with a focus on that last part, newness of life. The testimony of Lazarus was now so strong that the Jewish leaders wanted to have him killed. So why did they want him dead? Again, <laughs> I often thought, what if, what if they did kill him and then Jesus raised him up again? Man, they would be absolutely fuming, wouldn't they? <laughs> John twelve eleven. Because by that reason of him, speaking of Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Lazarus was a walking, talking testimony of the power of God. Can you imagine him showing up here or showing up to 8 to 8 youth and giving the devotional talk? Imagine it'd be like, yeah, my name's Lazarus. I live just down the road. Yeah, I was real sick one time and then I died and I was dead for four days and Jesus came and raised me from the dead. Any questions? <laughs> and he'd be like, yep, no, I got heaps. <laughs> now, if the Bible says that all us that put our trust in Jesus are also raised from death to life, what kind of testimony are we walking around with? What are we putting out there? Does the devil want to silence you? Because all the people that see you and believe on Jesus. Now, maybe you might be squirming in your seat a little bit. I'm with you and thinking, I'm not really the greatest example of newness of life at the moment. Maybe he's going to start asking me to pray all the time and read 20 chapters of the Bible of the day. Where am I going to find the time? I'm going to have to quit my job or give away a kid. I'm not telling you to do anything as drastic as quit your job. <laughs> but it's like that, isn't it? It's like we automatically feel this pressure to try and achieve a state where people are impressed by how good of a Christian we are. It sounds exhausting. But what did Lazarus do after he was raised from the dead? Did he embark on a national speaking tour promoting his new self-titled book? I will take suggestions for the book title afterwards, the best one. Was he found arguing with the Jewish leaders in the temple about the finer points of the law? Or maybe the Sadducees about the state of resurrection? Don't know. The Bible doesn't really mention him very much. It only mentions him doing one thing hanging out with Jesus at dinner. The Greek word, anakaimai, also details that this sitting is, is reclining. So when we read about Lazarus, this man who got raised from the dead, who has this incredible testimony, what is he doing afterwards? He is reclining at dinner with Jesus. Reclining in the company of Jesus. Now I know people like practical applications. Um, I don't have a list. I've just have something I've been trying lately. It's really simple. It's about invitation. Wherever and whenever, so whenever and whatever you are doing. See, for, for me, I was tending to compartmentalize my relationship with God. Like he was someone that I had this standing appointment with on a Sunday morning or maybe in the morning when I read a devotional on a Friday night. But the Bible says that God wants our whole lives not just a Sunday morning. So I tried this thing. It would be like, Jesus, we're just sitting down to relax. Might watch a little TV, might play some cards against my wife, 
but I'm inviting you to join us. Or on the, on the way to work, Jesus, I invite you into this time. Can you just sit in the passenger seat next to me? Or maybe it's, uh, Jesus, I'm really struggling right now. I can't stop thinking about X. I can't stop doing X. Can you just please come and be with me? Now, when I started doing this, I began to realize a couple of things. I began to realize that God is interested in the most mundane circumstances and happenings of my life. And what's more, I started to notice him speaking into them, which was strange at first. Um, Because I guess a part of me thought that God was only interested in worship sets or how to pray or music uh, movies where no one swears. Now, obviously, those are very important things. (laughs) But remember, like I said at the beginning, this is the instruction manual for life, all of life. Jesus wants to be part of all of it. God wants to be part of all of it, not just a Sunday morning or a Thursday night prayer group. Does God uh, invite us to be involved in those things? Absolutely. But Murray raised raised a great point on Thursday night. And I agree with it. I believe that Jesus prayed out of his intimate relationship with God the Father. That's why his prayers always seem so short and brief. It's like it's almost like he'd already prayed it already, and he was just giving confirmation for it. He was just acknowledging his faith. So if you're missing that, if you're missing the intimate relationship part, I think the rest is going to suffer <laughs> regardless. And in terms of God being interested in every part of our life, when God gave Solomon wisdom, Was it only how to build a temple or what sacrifices to give? No, he gave him wisdom on all kinds of things. Trees, fish, birds, business, relationships, music. The Bible said that God gave Solomon understanding as much as there is sand on the seashore. Now on the surface I know that this suggestion might sound a bit fruity. And I'm not overly interested in debating the theological points of, okay, well, Jesus is actually overseeing the tabernacle in heaven, and or he's, he's, all here, he's here in our hearts already. What I'm saying is it's a heart issue. It's, it's a surrender thing. It's about saying, you can have access to all of it, everything I have, even the parts that may be a bit stinky. I'm opening the tomb. Because remember, Jesus hung out with lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors. He can handle a little bit of muck but he won't leave you in it. Now, speaking of the bits of life that stink, maybe you've been going through plenty of that lately and you're thinking, God, where are you? Do you even see what's happening to me? Maybe you've been straight up with them like Martha and Mary were and you've said, God, you went around and this horrible thing happened. You could have stopped it, but you didn't. All I can say is hold on, fear not, because I believe he is building a testimony in all of us. Why? Because I see it in his word time and time again. And I see it in real life. Not those words, not real life, but I see it in my own life. In fact, what you're going through right now may be the start of many others having faith in God because of him working through you. It's been set up here many a times. People watch how Christians deal with difficult situations. Most people can be kind and generous and positive when life's going their way. But when life takes a turn, it's, it's the true state of someone's character that comes out. Does that mean we all have to put on a fake smile all the time and pretend that we're happy? Nope. Why not? Well, because Jesus didn't. The Bible says he wept for his friend Lazarus. But Jesus also knew that ultimately God was in control. The real question is, do you trust him to be in control? Do you trust him to build your testimony? Tough situations build our faith. James 1, 3 to 6, 
The trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men and women liberally, and unbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. The next verse, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. How do you think the faith of Lazarus and his sisters was after this miracle? Do you think that they struggled to believe in the power of God? Probably not. But then, again, it's been set up here heaps. Believers have horrible memories. <laughs> maybe they did. Maybe a year later they thought, oh, maybe, well, maybe he was just in a deep sleep. I don't know. But it's a powerful thing, a testimony. It brings glory to God and the devil hates it. Best of both worlds giving glory to God and slapping the devil. Adam, I was hoping you'd be here because <laughs> you did exactly that last week and it was amazing to see. Loved it. So that's what I thought to end on, a couple of short testimonies. I think we've got time. Can't even see the glare on that clock. Excellent. I think we've got time. They're only short. Now, I remember doing a project here in, in Huntley. It was called Singing Holdings. It was a commercial building down the road. And I was working with, with Murray and Aaron. Uh, they were doing the, the site works in the car park bit. And we had this site manager, Marty, who was a pretty rough and ready construction guy. He's about six foot five and just as wide. And he, um, he would always wear singlets all the time, even in the dead of winter. And I remember one day in particular, it was really, really cold. And I, I remember the conversation, someone like this, I said to him, it's so cold, how can you only wear a singlet? And he said, oh, actually, today I've got a singlet on underneath. <laughs> Two singlets, apparently. Anyway, so he was that kind of guy. And I explained to him one day, I said, actually, Murray and Aaron, um, and Murray in particular, he's, he's involved in the local church. He's the pastor. I haven't ever said this to you, Murray, but Martin said to me, yeah, I figured that. Murray has one of those Jesus faces. I thought, Jesus faces? I thought about that a lot afterwards. Jesus face. What is a Jesus face? Look, how do I get a Jesus face? <laughs> and I thought, I guess it's like that old saying, you are who you hang out with. I've shared here previously about my granddad. His name's Pop, we affectionately call him. And he's the same one I mentioned earlier that got rushed to hospital. So after he went to prison in Japan for attempted murder... He was convicted of his sins for the first time in his life, and he called on Jesus, trusted in him, and was saved. He was baptized in prison. We've got a photo of it. After he was released a couple of years later for good behavior, he rejoined the Navy. And he, he always used to tell us the story of the first time he sat in a mess hall getting ready to eat dinner. He said he went to pray for his meal, and he was distinctly aware of hundreds of pairs of eyes on him. Everyone was nudging each other. Is that Randy Pierce? Yes, he had quite the reputation prior to receiving Jesus. His nickname was Randy. Another, and he heard another one say, yes, it is. And he's praying. You see, my pop went to share his testimony with a lot of people, including his own father, who said if a boy like that can change, then there must be something to all this. And his father was actually baptized a short while later. Now, was Murray... Trying to look like Jesus. <laughs> 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 I 
I, I don't believe so. I believe he was just being the man that God had called him to be. And like I said, you start becoming who you hang out with. And people noticed. Even a rough and ready, always ready to swear, and singlet-wearing site manager noticed it. And was my granddad trying to attract the attention of hundreds of other sailors while praying over lunch? I don't think so. <laughs> I think he was just being thankful to God for his food. You see, these days, even small displays of our Christian faith are under attack and send big messengers. And it can be scary to be separated out as one of those Jesus freaks, as people used to say. But um, my question today, church, is regardless of that, are we walking in the promised newness of life? And can we be found reclining with Jesus? Is the devil petrified of your testimony? I can really only answer the last one for you. Absolutely. So in closing, don't stay in the grave. Be loosed and set free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your precious son, Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And that us who believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone here as we go out into our weeks that we could just be and that people would see. That we wouldn't get too caught up, Lord, in what we have to do, Lord God, but in, uh, that would be transformed by who we have to be and who we are to be, this newness of life that you promise. And I thank you for all that you've done for us already and ask that you'd strengthen us through the power of your Holy Spirit as we go into this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.